Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey there, Rugby Rant fans. Welcome to another great episode of the Rugby Rant Podcast Show, where we put our guests to the test to be able to debate the topics at hand. And an opportunity to introduce myself. My name is Ty Brog, your host for today's activities alongside Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt. And joining us in the absence of Scott, the big guy himself, we brought in the big guns here at <laughs> Gift Egberlu from Gift Time Network. Gift, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, man, it's going to be an exciting one. We love your energy and, of course, everything that you do. And, in fact, something that you're going to be doing in the future, congratulations <laughs> in two parts, one on your engagement, and uh, the second is the appointment to the NCR uh, as the growth and development uh, person. Remind us what that is. Growth and develop. Well, first, thank you very much on the engagement. Congratulations. And then on the second part, uh, and being appointed as growth and development coordinator for uh, National College Rugby, trying to help bring these teams not just more into NCR, but even being able to bring them out to their community bit by bit so we can make this rugby world that much bigger. You know, well, I don't think that anybody is in doubt that you are one of the great servants uh, <laughs> of rugby and uh, positive energy behind it. And that's exactly why we brought you here to be able to rant with us. And the topics at hand is the rugby rant fans will know are chosen by you on the Major League Rugby Fan Zone group. And what came out tops was the question or to learn more about the National Development Program and how it may intersect with Major League Rugby itself. So an interesting topic, and uh, perhaps it fits right into your wheelhouse uh, there, Gift, uh, talking about development in rugby, which has been a passion for you uh, as far back as, I suppose, your first rugby game. So let's hand the floor over. And before we do that, I want to remind our guests that each of these ranters have two minutes to be able to debate the topics at hand, bringing forth all the points they think are true that resonate with me as the referee. And we'll find out who has presented the best case to be able to share what they know and what they believe in when it comes to this topic. However, should they go over their allotted two minutes, they will receive a yellow card. That means it's infringed. That's right. I'm looking at you, Gift. Hey. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, 
we will give you a warning to let you know if you are coming close to your time just to wrap up that opening rant. And this way, everybody has an opportunity to be able to share what they think about the topic. And that topic, again, for our viewers, quick reminder, is to be able to talk about the National Development Program and how it intersects with Major League Rugby. Hey, Rugby Rant fans, in order to be able to get into the next rant, we have to learn what is the National Development Program and how does it work and be able to help us through that. We're going to hand it over to Rob Hammerschmidt. So, Rob, let us know. Thanks, Ty. So let me just cap off a couple of really key points and what people need to understand about the NDP process, right, in order to be a certified program. Number one, it's going to take place age groups between 12 and 25. Um, it's got to be outside of a scholastic or club programs. And that's critical because it, it can't be a club organization. It can't be, you know, your men's club that's running an NDP for youth uh, and, and development. Um, it's got to be independent of that. It can't be a, a school high school program either, right? Uh, it also has to have a six to 12 month a year program that has weekly or biweekly sessions that include rugby, strength and conditioning, and nutritional components, right? So what I'm getting at here is the requirements are pretty stringent. They grade those out so that there are level, you know, there are like a four-star program, three-star program, and then there are other programs that are considered to be emerging, Okay, and then there have to be key performance indicators that are addressed, and they have like five areas in which they're doing that, and they've identified those indicators all along the way. Something like coaching development, for example, and they get graded out. How well is this NDP um, uh, accomplishing that particular marker? Um, and, and there's only a window of application for a month. That's for the month of July. And then once that July 31st hits, nobody can apply for that the next, you know, year until July 1 to be an NDP. So um, what I'm getting at is this is very organized, highly organized. You're going to need like a paid staff almost to do something like this, to coordinate this, because volunteers, quite frankly, there's a lot of burnout. And what I would say is in that burnout comes the fact that um, there won't be a lot of continuity to make sure that these markers are met and to make sure that this program is con- uh, has continuity. Well, that was a great explanation there. And with that in mind, we're going to be able to hand it over to Gip for his first rant. Your two minutes start now. Well, I am well acquainted with that yellow card, so we might be acquainted even more so. (laughs) That being said, I think one of the greatest things that comes out from this MLR concept is the amount of change that goes from the youth development side. Not just simply because of the fact that you're able to expand it and that it's starting to grow in its own slow way, but the change in the mindset of not just the parents, but the youth themselves in how they go about this. And this directly impacts how national development goes. So within the U.S. structure, obviously we have our age grade system, and a lot of the 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 the, the concept has just been trying to find the players who are best of who have been available. But now that there is an alternative opportunity that is there for them, you have now even seen, and I can witness this myself, that now the kids have become even more focused in being able to develop the skills as well as being able to get more experience in playtime. That can only help us in the long run because one of the things that we always worried about was skill development when the time would be when you're able to do it uh um if if we're going to have the credible coaching to be able to handle it and obviously MLR creates an incentive and the draft added an even greater incentive to be able to have these kids go through and say we want to get in-depth coverage and that means the parents are now having to take 
earlier time to be able to invest. Now, the flip side of it is you want to make sure that you are creating an element that is going to actually allow all the best to be able to be be a part of it. And hopefully within MLR, they will take this time. And I've listened to a few of them talk about it to be able to invest inside their own community so that they can kind of move out of that pay for play system. And we can move into the increasing the amount of quality that goes in and not just taking the best of what's available, but the best of what's there, which is what as the U.S. is supposed to have in terms of athleticism and everything like that. So, Hey, you know, national development, we should see more and more uh, quality play as it comes over the next four to eight to ten years. After we watch this last Rugby World Cup and we're going to see it uh, occur again with the Olympics, we're going to see much more interest in being able to have that impact internationally. And that has a back play for college, youth, pros. Oh, it's overall. Right. I like it, man. Uh, so a little bit over your two minutes, but uh, so that means that uh, true to form, I need to make sure that you get the email. Eh? <laughs> Told you, too acquainted with it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I like how you announce it. You know, it's kind of like he really has personified the spirit of Scott. Now, our previous part. He always swore that if you just tell the rep beforehand that you're going to infringe, you get a little. That makes it okay. We let we let the understanding be made quick. <laughs> I like that, but it's what you do at the time that counts, and you did a great job there, Rob. I'm going to give I, you the opportunity. Say, I will say, gift. At least I appreciate the fact that you didn't coach Ty into giving me a yellow card. You accept <laughs> the realities. Usually. Scott totally tries to talk to the ref. And Apparently, this ref is easily influenced. Yeah. <laughs> the sacrifice will help us in the long term. So let me take a moment to unpack some of those things yeah. that, that Gift shared with us. Um, so you spoke about, obviously, youth development, spotting talent. Now, that talent was just from what we had available in the existing systems. Now, many of those systems were better than another. One region was better off than another because they had more facilities, they had more resources. So it was there was a lot of inequality. There wasn't much parity in the way that they were identifying players and the way that they were nurturing those players. So definitely recognize that. And this is where the National Development Program is trying to find a platform to be able to say, okay, look, let's find a better approach. Let's be able to work on the same page. Let's start uh, we're using the resources uh, in a way that we know has measurable results, which is very key. And where we find ourselves is, as you pointed out, is when you get to the level of now uh, college players that have the ability to use that pathway to go to the MLR draft, to be drafted by an MLR team. Well, this is just another great way that you can define the pathway, but from an even younger start, if I understand you correctly. Exactly. Exactly. Wonderful opening. Let's hand it over to Rob. So I'm going to take a little different approach on this, and I'm going to start out by saying any fans out there that have uh, an interest in in these uh, national development programs, check out USA Rugby and look at the requirements. And if you look at the requirements, um, I really like what they're doing, setting benchmarks that are clear, establishable, and measurable. Right. But with that, I think comes some of the challenges. And this is where I think the intersection between the NDP and the MLR comes in, because here's some realities. Um, and 
uh, Goff report indicated that it would cost an NDP program about $50,000 a year to run. It costs $500 to be an NDP program annually. And then on top of that, all the core, uh, all the costs. So that's one challenge. And that's setting aside travel costs for the, for the players to go to tournaments and things like that. Number two, uh, the session frequency required. So now you're going to have to have some pretty dedicated and committed staff. You're going to have to have some pretty dedicated commitment, committed athletes because of the requirements on how often and frequent they're supposed to be involved in weight sessions and training sessions, et cetera. One of the other difficulties is the challenge of administration of, a, of an NDP. I mean, with all this structure is going to have to come um, this question. Are you going to have a professional staff? that's going to be capable of orchestrating all this, or are you going to rely on volunteers? Volunteers are great, but we also know that volunteers burn out very quickly, right? And I'm getting to my point here where this intersection happens in just a moment. Um, and I'm and so the other question is, how is this going to impact select sites? So where's the intersection? It's this. Who's best suited to orchestrate the NDP programs? MLR teams, and through their development. And we're already seeing it, Okay. We're seeing eight teams that have already registered, right? And look at some of the names. Northeast, the New England Free Jacks Academy, the Panther Rugby Academy with is associated with ATL, uh, San Diego Legion Academy, and then the Washington Loggers, which are in Seattle. So guess who they closely associate with? And then finally, I just talked to Nick Feeks. Nick Feeks said they're actually working on this down there at NOLA. Uh, they're actually going to have a, 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 a combine November in November for U19s, and they're going to be working on a collegiate training group. So we already see teams jumping in with both feet, getting associated with NDP programs and setting up this nexus between NDP and MLR teams. A lot of great points there, but a yellow. <laughs> so I guess we're even. Look, I love, but I, I love appreciate that. That gift did not talk <laughs> you into that. You did it of your own accord. I appreciate that. <laughs> But I just want to level the playing field because you both have brought up some amazing points. But let's just focus on what Rob had mentioned now, where it intersects, is that you've got the MLR that's now developing their own programs. Now, much earlier in the beginnings of, of what was then the MLR rant, our fans will know who have been watching us all the way through, we had actually brought up this topic quite a while back about you know the structure of, okay, is college uh, the greatest breeding ground for players or should they be turning their focus to academies? At the time, we had decided, well, it made sense to use the existing infrastructure than to begin a new one because it caused less of a financial burden, which you again pointed out now, Rob. But now the, the team seemed to be in a different place. You know, we've already had uh, rumors that of how budgets are now being set aside to assist them in developing these programs. Subsequently, we have the Free Jacks that are doing an amazing job. You know, they're one of the uh, the main ones that have been identified as a part of the NDP and for good reason, right? And they've outlined that program. We've got the, uh, the Utah uh, organization doing the same, Sabercats, and the list can go on and on and on. The key, again, and both of your points are important, is to be able to get players early. Right. So you need to make sure that you get the game entrenched and then, well, with with them as, as a much younger player, develop those skills. Uh, but it is an expensive exercise. So I like the fact that you brought that up and where that funding will come from is going to be interesting. Can it be in part funded through the MLR? I mean, what, what are your thoughts in regards to funding programs like these? Uh, let's hand it back to Rob, because you're the one who brought up the point initially. Well, I think we're already seeing teams do it, right? I mean, uh, we know that players are not 
able to have an actual full-time career in which rugby entirely pays for their cost of living. They're offsetting that through other things. So we commonly see players on teams, not only just being a player, but then they're also working on the development end. We know, like I said, Nick Feeks is doing this down in NOLA. We know there there are, uh, you know, uh, ATL, rugby ATL through the 404 is doing this with some of their players. So a lot of players are being involved in this. And we know through Larry uh, talked about down there at HTX, the requirement that those guys, you know, be uh, go through refereeing course, get their level one coaching certs. So they're, they're orchestrating these things um, and I think it's a great avenue for the MLR to help offset some of the living costs for some of the players that are going to be playing. And who better to be involved in the coaching level than players uh, applying their trade professionally? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like the fact that you brought up that they're actually being – so they're using the existing player pool to be able right. to train and, and, and nurture that next generation. But at the same time, they're giving them tools to be able to do that by doing their level 100 training with USA Rugby and, of course, onto the 200 and hopefully even the 300 if they want to be able right. to coach at that level, right? But you're also creating a pathway – for them uh, as a coach or anybody who wants to be a part of it. I mean, it could be a volunteer. So, yeah, so you're using the, the existing network that you have to be able to fill the resources there. I do like that point. Uh, let's hear your thoughts uh, on the subject then, Gift. So you mentioned something that was really interesting, on, uh, which was a question was, will does the existing college system work well enough to be able to facilitate? And if so, does MLR put something as a substitution or replacement? I think there's two parts that are happening here. One part, it's great that MLR is utilizing their players to be able to create a coaching system. That one thing that has been consummately needed within the state has been uh, coaching. Not to say that we haven't had good coaches, and we obviously have a sufficient amount, but we obviously still have a ways to go, and even time development can only impact so much if you don't have the guidance along with it. But the other half of it is something that Rob mentioned, which was the issue of not being able to have full timeness, which is where the college component has to be able to be a serious part of the MLR experience, the MLR development. MLR is going to be its main funds are always going to come from number one place, fans and engagement. It's going to come from that. Your sponsorships are a result. Your merch is a result, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That college system, and it's something that we saw with the NFL and we see with most of the major sports, is that you already get a built-in audience whenever you come with the college side. <clears throat> if you start removing that component out of it, regardless of the fact that you might have arguably a more quality system at hand, you might actually end up hurting yourself in the back end of it because of the fact that you're not creating the generated interest and spectatorship that you need and sometimes it's working harder than you need to your coaching is going to be the thing that's going to help that and you can add that into the college system and impact that there without adding these extra burden costs it's a little bit different than we're right. dealing with the, the european system and the soccer based system that, that we have through the academies you can still have that at the youth level and use it as a supplement to what they're already doing at home but whenever you if you try and make it so that you can completely replace it it's, I mean, look, it's something that we've only seen done well and we can say well-ish within the MLB system with the minor leagues. And even that is, has been proven to be iffy in the pandemic era. And the G League only started beginning to do it. And it's not even fully into capacity of what it can do as opposed to being able to take from the college side. We see that with Zion Williamson and stuff like that. 
MLR can do that, and that's what the draft came into play. It needs that fan base, regardless of whether it's a poultry one or whether you're right. able to access a large one. That is where its financial growth will come. That's where it'll be able to pay its players full-time, and that's whenever it'll be able to see its yeah. highest. And, and, and on, on that, don't forget, and you know, again, I'm familiar with Nola, but Tim Maupin is down there, I think, at what, uh, Tulane? Is, right. is that where it, he's going to be the head coach of Tulane? So the, right now you're already seeing a, a an MLR player that's – making that transition to becoming a coach in a college level. And don't forget too, um, I, I, I can't get away from the fact that there's a culture where students, ki- kids go from high school to college. Yeah. That's what they do. They go to get an education. What a great place to go, play some rugby. And then you use the uh, existing windows that the MLR allows for, for kids to go back during the summer and play sevens with their development program. And mm-hmm. There's a development window that they've identified within this NDP uh, process. The, the the windows are July competitive windows, if I'm not mistaken, are uh, June and July, or is it July and August? And then uh, again in December. So it fits right in with the college system. Mm-hmm. I think they're really trying to make these things fit like hand and glove. Right. I often wonder, though, when we talk about nurturing these players and doing it younger and you kind of alluded to this point that you move from from high school to college. Now, that college might be 300 or 1,000 miles away. So if you find yourself nurturing a player in your academy system and you've you know, identified them from 14 years old and they're with you from 18, the idea is, much like it is in the UK or even South Africa and other successful rugby nations, that player would choose because that's his pathway to stay close to be able to do his studies nearby and continue working with that academy system. But yet here in the U.S., you're still going to have the expectation that they're going to go somewhere else, right? So you're going to lose them for three years, four years, and possibly not get them back. So what would not only be the plan is to not only get players to sign up and to engage, retention will become a problem too. Go ahead, Gift. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think it's 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 a little bit – it's a little bit slippery when we're talking about within that retention rate because here's one thing that is always going to be proven true, and this is evident for the American culture. Whenever you, if you don't feel like you have opportunities, it's going to be much harder for you to be able to stick to one area. And free agency concept is huge. We're already seeing it now just because of situation. But whenever players are now going to say, even if more money gets, when more money gets poured in and high salaries go up, players are now going to want to have competitive balance. And so even though your academy system might be where your loyalty lies, just like a draft pick wants to stay with their team forever, but you don't know what, you don't have all the control. And so when that moment of control comes in and you become a part of the bidding process, it's still going to be there. So having kids still being able to go into these colleges and being able to separate away gives them at least an element of being used to having a variation. And it actually can actually help in the long term in saying, Hey, look, you already went to this one place so far. Why do you want to go again? We've got you. We we can hold your loyalty by proof. So you want them to kind of separate to prove how good your system is in comparison. Right. I love the fact that, you know, when, when you speak about uh, like the retention and stuff like that, I mean, they're all important points, but you're thinking that's thinking the smaller view and, I acknowledge that. But the biggest picture is, is that it's a win for rugby as a whole, that you have players being developed. And even if they end up going to another club and they end up participating against you, the same would happen that you would receive a player that somebody else had trained. 
Exactly. So, you know, it's, 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 it all helps each other. One hand washes the other is the saying, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, added to that, now I don't know what the MLR's plans are for the draft moving forward in the future, but remember as it exists now, we only had two rounds. So what's the worst case scenario, right? That, that you lose potentially, you know, maybe a couple of players that go away because of the draft by and large, most of the kids that are signed in free agency were not draftees. They were guys that were signed in free agency that didn't get drafted, right? I mean, Nola had four guys that they didn't draft that they picked up in free agency. Um, and those are guys that, you know, for all intents and purposes, could have been in the development pathway had it been in existence. Right. So let me ask you gentlemen, then I'll ask a gift first up. You know, having been so heavily involved with college rugby in the U.S. and you've seen different ways it's been done over the years gone by, and you kind of got a glimpse of what the future may look like, how important is college rugby going to be in development moving forward? So I think it, I, I always say it's in part because there's there's different sections to it. So on one side of it, you have uh, the absolute need for, like I said before, spectator adjustment. All right. Uh, I think college right now, since we have the largest population of rugby players that are in that, um, you need you have that marketing and test experimental testing that you can get from there. Uh, this is one where you have to be able to. I would always say MLR needs to try and be its own venture capitalist for its local area, uh, in in a sense to be able to help support that. The other half of it goes to uh, what is going to be the importance of college moving forward. Pandemic changed the game a little bit. So what we might see moving forward is less kids being on campus. And so that also in the tune makes less kids available for, as it's done for most teams, recruiting, which is where I, I was trying to come in with NCR, wanting to change up how we look at this recruitment, even before COVID, but even especially now. So when you have these key programs like Life, Linden, with these D1 programs, I think it's particularly special because you have the backing of some level of TV contracts. Um, obviously not TV payouts, but there's at least recognition within them and, and you have that. So that leverages more contracts for the MLR when it comes to eventually TV right deals or streaming right deals that you want to be able to negotiate against. But you do have to ask yourself, and it's going to sound even counter to what I said earlier, you do have to ask yourself if the concept of college as we know it diminishes is it going to be able to be hold, held as strongly, you know, just based off of numbers? And it's going to depend on how these university systems, and this is why this new experiment of the split between CRAA and NCR and what we have now with youth and um, USA youth and uh, uh, high school development, it's going to really depend on how they adjust their model. If they adjust their models to make up for not needing excess of students to be available in word of mouth development, I think we can see a huge uh, impact and MLR being able to pull from it uh, and using less money. Uh, but if we are sticking with the same old routine that we've gone for the last 25, 30, 40 years here in the U S uh, I think you're going to see a lot of diminishing returns over the course of 10 years, five to 10 years. Right. And that's an important window, the next five to 10 years, especially if the U.S. Uh, uh, rugby organization wants to be able to plot and plan a, a path to hosting a Rugby World Cup, right? right. 
Because exactly. you know, this is something that was brought up recently when we did an interview with Pete Steinberg and very insightful uh, thoughts behind it was it came down to, to an important point that he had shared that if you are thinking about developing rugby, don't think about the players today. Think about the players that will be in 10 years. Yeah. And uh, that I thought was was a very, very good uh, approach. And that's where these academies, national development programs, college rugby, all overlap. Unfortunately, in the U.S., many people are only introduced to the game where they have the ability to play it for the first time at college. You know, arguably so, that's too late. Certainly when you look at it in comparison to other more traditional rugby nations, I myself, having grown up in South Africa, was introduced to the game playing at the age of seven years old. Is that possible in the U.S. right now? Most likely not. Could it be? Perhaps. Maybe 10, sorry, let's say maybe 13 onwards could be possible. And that's uh, uh, what we would love to be able to see. Now, Rob, you are also a youth coach. In addition to that, you have a son who's playing at Lindenwood University. Your thoughts? So uh, it, there's a couple different things there. Don't forget a lot of high-performance programs are actually attracting players from overseas to come get a college education here in the United States and play rugby. So some of those kids I think you might find, um, maybe they're, they're, they, they, they find it pretty difficult to break through some of the academy systems back in Australia or New Zealand or, or in England you know, or South Africa. They come here, play rugby, grow and develop. And, and they get an opportunity to play at a very high level. And then they kind of like what they see in America. They uh, remain independent if they, if they do things right. Um, and according to uh, World Rugby, they get their five years of residency. And there's somebody that can actually develop into USA national team player where they see an avenue through the development and academy programs working within the, the existing windows, like I mentioned before. And then they go into... Um, of course, uh, uh, USA setup and and the the you know under twenty selects and things like that. But on the development note, um, you know, I think the idea is that when you put more money into uh, academies and you you're gonna you're gonna it, look the NDPs are gonna pull the best players from teams. It just will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the idea. As Steinberg talked about last week. What we're really looking to do is identify early on about 120 kids across the United States that we're really looking to pour a lot of energy and effort into that can in 10 years develop develop to be a national team player that plays in a World Cup here in the United States. Yeah. But the idea is to also develop a lot of those kids at at the local level and grow rugby so that now you get more kids playing. And that's what you're going to see develop into some of these youth and high school and, and, and then college programs. I wanted to add one bit, and, and I was just thinking about this, and it kind of builds off of what you were saying, Rob, but a little, but a little bit different. But one thing that we also need to for, can't we can't forget that comes with the college side is the women's demographics, and yeah. this one played very massively moving forward, regardless uh, in, in in a few ways as a potential coaches and uh, staffers, b uh, a subsequently you know, if it eventually gets to that point, scaled over uh, women's professional side, as we're starting to see in the UK and France. And and third, uh, a fan base that becomes even more loyal, uh, especially. And we know if if watching the the, the numbers, like we do get typically the best, not just best available, but the best when it comes to our women's sports. And as, as a result of that, 
the greater support that we give to that college side, the more you're going to have a double down in being able to get to your fan spectatorship, which is revenue generating. You get loyalty based, which is revenue generating, but and and de- quality development. And for those who choose to, this is families down the line that now have an even greater re- resonance. We know how many times we say. Oh, we know the people who, oh, we played in college, and so I allowed my kid to, or I suggested my niece or my nephew to, or subsequently. You're adding your quality base over generational habits with making sure that you are attaching to this whole group, not just from the men's side, but obviously from the women's side. And that college arena and impacts the youth side and that, uh, you know, and, and, and everything moving forward. So so they're very hard to measure that in, that ripple effect, that positive effect that it has, as you so, so rightly pointed out. It might be mom and dad who played the game at college. Now they introduce it to their son. Those are, are, are hard parts to measure, but they are important. So you also spoke about much earlier in the same debate about how you have a built-in audience when you are drawing from college. The same may very well be uh, when you have that academy that is set up. Right now, from the start, you're starting from nothing, like the MLR started from nothing. But what it did was galvanize an audience, sorry, fans across the nation, and they gathered around those teams. So you have to imagine that that support, if they can build the right culture in these academies, mom and dad would buy into that concept of supporting that academy that is feeding the Sabercats or feeding the Free Jacks or feeding San Diego, wherever it may be. So yeah, those same points that you talk about when it comes to college can also be lent to, to that of the major league rugby academies. Um, and then I guess the real thing is, can we connect all three parts successfully from high school to college and college to the MLR? So there lies an important point, too. Is the National Development Program possibly, possibly solidifying that pathway for, for high school players to be inducted into rugby earlier, nurtured, and to be able to progress all the way through to being a major league rugby players? Uh, what is your thought when we talk about that pathway going starting even earlier? Yes, Okay. I, I think that's the. I think that's, yeah, that's, isn't that the idea behind the NEPs, right? Is to identify talent earlier. I like right? how I spent like three minutes setting it up, yeah. and he's like, "Yes." <laughs> why? Why overthink it? Right? Yeah, um, you're absolutely right, and I do agree with you. I mean, it seems obvious, but when you when you you know, I try to be able to draw it out and make it a little more obvious for those that are listening and those that are watching. Right. Uh, rant, um, but it's important to be able to to to, to recognize that. Ultimately, we need to start identifying players younger and giving them the ability to grow and thinking 10 years from now, not right now. And to that point, referencing our conversation with with, uh, Pete Steinberg, who, of course, has a rich rugby history, not only as a commentator where people are more familiar with him now, but he also was the USA women's rugby coach. So, again, to the point that Gift had made, women's rugby is a significant growth uh, potential, uh, the upside is absolutely amazing if you can engage that audience. And in fact, I think it still stands as the fastest growing sport among women at college level. Correct me if I'm wrong. Right. Um, so yes, if you can bring all of these parts together and include both of those, those, uh, uh, those uh, audiences and of course, player pools, the upside is incredible. But again, I wanted to single out the, the, the reference to uh, Pete Steinberg and it might be controversial in saying so, 
but I thought it was it was very uh, very much so with merit is if you want to be able to be prepared to put out the best teams and reach those higher levels, you have to unfortunately sacrifice something to be able to give them the opportunity. What might those sacrifices look like? I mean, if you're going to give money to these development programs, that money's got to come from somewhere. The well, pocket is only so big. I, well, I think what's going to be sacrificed is some of the youth programs that have developed here in Illinois. We probably have close to fifty high school teams in in the in the Chicago suburbs, uh, Chicago itself, and then the outerlying Illinois area. Some of those teams are going to go away, right? Because they're going to suck off the best players into the NDP programs. And again, with the frequency at which those players are supposed to train within the programs because of the requirements they're not going to stick with their club teams. Right. But the, the idea hopefully is that, that as rugby grows, more kids start to gravitate towards these club teams. And just like in the Academy system in other countries, the kids that are really good and Excel will move on up to more representative levels and they'll start to be identified at an earlier point in time. And the kids that grow and develop late will eventually be found. And it might be through a college system and it might be later on through, you know, as they grow up through the academy system, they might find their way into the academy because they get better and they grow and develop. But um, the idea is to in 10 years have a player pool that's of the quality to be competitive. Right. Absolutely. Um, so we're going to hand it over to uh, to get for your final thoughts on this subject that kind of morphed from talking about just the national development program to covering all areas from high school to, to <laughs> rugby. But I suppose it's with, with, without saying, you know, um, I mean, it was pretty obvious that these are connected. So maybe it was inevitable that we covered these points and having the presence of, of, of gift on the show has given us an insider perspective of what, it means to college rugby. So let's hear your final thoughts. So I, I guess coming to a conclusion with this, I, I look at it as being able to understand do we what we get as a growth as field play, what we get a growth as industry play, and what we get a growth as uh, culture. Um, you know, to, to Rob's point, when you talk about there's going to be a sacrifice, I think what we end up sacrificing is a little bit of culture. Uh, and sometimes that's the necessity for excellence, um, some of that casual leisureness that we were able to have, where it can be maybe a, overly all inclusive without um, without prejudice, becomes a little bit more discriminatory uh, in terms of talent, and and right. and so and so it, it does leave a little bit for some to not want to attend as a player, but it does change it to as a fan, which I go back to the industry, um, and so. What we do from the youth development, what we do from the college, and even so from the select side, from the uh, the, the academy select and, and collegiate select and youth select, we are going to see a different adjustment in that whole industry because now every play and every action becomes much more important. And that impacts the way that we go national development. We get more film, we get more uh, activity, and obviously uh, more more hours down on the field is better for play. So uh, ultimately, this is this is a whole adjustment that comes from just this little bit here, uh, and it's it's something to be excited to see uh, from all levels. Right, it's definitely a shift in the way business has been conducted from in comparison to the past. Right, and. Sometimes, you know, to think differently, we all get different results. But I had an interesting thought that just popped into my head a moment ago, and I wanted to be able to get uh, your thoughts on this one as well. Just to be able to, to boil it down to a more simple understanding, the national development programs that are 
to be implemented, would you say, Gift, that it is growing rugby, but not necessarily by the volumes of people who participate, but by the strength of those that participate? I think that's kind of iffy to say. I, I think it's still we, – we, we're seeing the pathway, but I still think we have – we haven't fully accessed the pool that we want yet. Right now, we are strengthening what we have available. And that's great, but it's not what we're looking for. So I don't know if I can give it that much credit. It now potentially can, but we have to get that access point. And that's where we talk about the purpose of MLR and everything from there. From where um, it is now, a good place to start at least. And ahead yes, of the it, it, it changed Again, changing up the, the, the mindset is always the first step to right. being able to improve the entire machinery. And uh, right now, we're just working on the mindset. The machinery is we'll, – we'll continue to get that more and more adjusted and tweaked in. But that's it's, – it's that process. But we're going to get there. But at this moment right now, I, don't, I won't say it's done that yet. But the potential is there, and that's what we want. Right, exactly. Upside is definitely there. Rob, what is your final thoughts in this regard? Well, I think we're discounting what the MLR teams are already starting to do in terms of youth development. I mean, again, I always go to what I know, which is down in NOLA. I mean, we've talked to Tim Falcon. We had him on the show a few weeks ago, and he talked about the desire to develop, you know, 100 programs in and around the Louisiana area. And clearly they're putting some investment with commitment to a guy like Nick Feeks into the developmental program, Louisiana's development uh, youth development coordinator. So they're, they're, they're growing, they're trying to grow the numbers, right? But then there's also, then once you have, you get the numbers on mass, you also have to identify talent and you have to have a, find a platform for develop, for talented players to compete at a high level and to get used to that high level of competition so that when they get to and aspire to the men's level and women's level, they are used to competing at a high level. It's part of their DNA, and they can uh, cope with the pressure that comes with a Rugby World Cup. Right. Absolutely. Fair points, gentlemen. And thank you for uh, sharing that. We covered everything from high school all the way through to MLR. Um, but nevertheless, the, this general sentiment is, is that it's definition, but it you know, still remains to be seen where the fine tuning will be uh, to be able to refine that product. And ultimately, uh, you know, we will see what, what comes of it. But I like the fact that they're thinking about developing youth players. And ultimately, isn't that a win, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. um, all right. So let's make sure that we take a quick opportunity to be able to share a few thoughts from our sponsors at the Rugby Shop. And we'll take a break and be back in just a moment. So welcome back, Rugby Rant fans. Of course, you are watching the Rugby Debate Show, where we put our guests to the test to be able to battle the topics at hand. And next up, what do we have? Well, we are here to be able to talk about the rumors flying around out there in MLR to see who's next big signing. So with this in mind, we are going to hand it over to Rob. I'm going to contribute to this conversation. Gift is going to throw a few thoughts out there. This really isn't a battle. This is really just what rumors are out there, and we're going to share our thoughts around it. So with uh, that in mind, I'd like to be able to start off by talking about, uh, well, one that's been flying around for quite a while, that is the uh, the source of many rumors, is the L.A. Giltinis. Now, we could... Uh, debate their name. We could debate whether they're going to be coming back. We're going to set that all aside because that doesn't matter right now. What we do know is that they are, of course, committed to being fielding a team next season, 
where they will play. We don't yet know. It hasn't yet been confirmed, but we have heard some rumblings about who will be fielding uh, or who will be on that field. So the first of which, uh, Blake Rogers was announced as joining them. That was back on the MLR rant. Uh, We also had um, Stephen McLeish, who was a draftee, but we heard some news about that, didn't we, Rob? Yeah, so um, basically uh, in in L.A., Stephen did not uh, sign with L.A. Um, They didn't – I think they had to get the signing window was uh, up to – it was August 30th. Once August 30th hits, it was basically became a free agent. Um, and LA, what they're really looking to do is they were really, they had two hookers already. One was international from what, from what I'm hearing. Um, but they were really looking to fill a third hooker spot with a guy who was in the MLR already, who had MLR experience. Uh, so they didn't really have need for Steven services. And so they, they allowed him to look elsewhere. Rumor has it, um, well, uh, it's more than rumor. He's my son's roommate, so I know that he's been <laughs> that that he's been uh, talking a little bit with Nola. Nola likes him. Nola's so. What you're saying, Rob, is you have spies. <laughs> you could say that. You could say that. <laughs> I, I'm like I'm like uh, you know Glazer from the NFL. You know, he runs a gym and he just gets information just by hanging out with all the boys in the gym. <laughs> but it's interesting you say that because recently. Uh, it was it was referenced in an article by the America's Rugby Fan Zone where a lot of other names were also mentioned. So what's behind these rumors is already starting to be able to make it into the press. Uh, and, you know, they tend to be gather momentum. And as, you know, they make uh, make newsworthy uh, reports on them, it starts to become a little bit more plausible. And in regards to McLeish, what I found so interesting is that he was – not only one of the very first people to be signed to the Ella Guiltinis, but he's also the first one to leave, right? <laughs> so, and and where he may find his home is 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 interesting. But it was actually said that uh, by this report that his home is going to be Nola. Yeah, we'll see. I I, I actually um, it, it would be great to see. I think he really he's been down there. He's visited. I think he really likes it down there. They right. have a great culture. They're well established. They're, um, you know, they have a good development and feeder system. So I think it'll fit in, fit in well with what they're trying to accomplish moving uh, forward. For sure. And, and Nola has already been a great example of yeah. investing in talent, right. uh, young talent. Yeah, homegrown talent. Right. Exactly. So much so. I mean, obviously, Gift, you know all about this being a Nola fan as well. And by the way, I'm severely outnumbered uh, today. No, because I, I, I was going to even add on to Rob's point, like, uh, and, and, to your point, yeah, I do know a lot of these guys. I've either played or covered or in one way or shape or form right. with or against these guys. So, yeah, they that whole program between Fitz and Falcon, they've put together something that is culturally relevant. And you've seen it offensively when it comes to play. They come out hard. They come out strong. And their loyalty is very evident there. It, it, it's very easy to be attracted to this place. Fan base is very, very attached to say the least so i it would make perfect sense for him to come down here and you know deal with the perfect consistent warm weather that you never have to worry (laughs) about any changes whatsoever at all (laughs) there's just really hot when you deal with this heat ah that means you can do the championships championships are in the summer just remember that 
Mm. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But, I mean, uh, any young player would probably find a great home in, in NOLA because of their development uh, and the mentors that they have around them. So, McLeish, hopefully if he does end up there, we'll find a happy home as well. But let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about other rumours that are kind of swirled and beginning to emerge around the Giltinis and the players. So we know of many names that have been thrown out, um, you know, on the back of some big names like Chris Robshaw, who has, of course, been confirmed to be at San Diego. Ma Nanu was confirmed to be leaving um, to go to uh, his previous club. I think it was Toulon, Toulouse. Um, yeah. So, you know, these are names that 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 you want to have associated to the league. What's another big name that's been thrown out recently? DTH Funamata, right? So here you got this Canadian national team player from uh, great origins, great rugby resume. I believe he's probably about 34 years old, and he's rumored to be coming back to be able to play rugby here professionally. Now, would that be because he's Canadian that it might very well be in Toronto? Sure, Toronto probably would be very happy to be able to accept another Canadian national player, right? But there have been a lot of talks about him making his way to the Giltinis. What are your thoughts in that regard? Would it be a good fit? Could that be that marquee player signing? What would that look like? Uh, I don't want to cut Gift off because uh, I went first last time. But um, so uh, a number of weeks ago, we actually talked about this one. And and I kind of said it would be you know, almost like a, a, a storybook that he would go to Toronto. But the reality is I don't know if that's what they want. Right. right. I mean, t- Toronto's model is actually to work guys in to a system that they can matriculate up into and develop into the national team. They don't want to do that with a guy that's 34. We know that Dan Moore left recently. Right. He retired. Right. Say. So w- they're looking to develop young guys and looking to bring guys into their system that can develop into national team players. That's a fair okay. point. I mean, if you right. take a player. Like that, I mean, sorry to cut you off, but I, no. I recognize that's a good point, and I wanted to just kind of stick on that is, yeah, I mean, that's that's really good because a player that comes in at 34, now granted the physicality that is demanded of a player in the MLR is not the same as the Premiership or any other top-flight league in Europe and anywhere else in the world. So arguably so, this is why we are able to get players that are a little bit longer in the tooth perhaps, right? But to your point, do you want to have a player that's maybe only got two, maybe three years left? Um, sure, that'll be two or three good years. Maybe the mentorship that he can bring with him, the leadership might be of that great value, but it depends on what your club values most. Yeah, I always say one thing that you have to understand that we always have to remember is development of culture. And as you mentioned with Toronto, if they're developing from a youth standpoint up, you have a guy that has that mentorship ability, but um, again, you also already have a staff and a culture that's already sufficed to be yeah. able to take care of that. So what is the point of adding that extra money? Also having an aged quote, quote player by that point. And especially if you can find another MLR team that might be more sufficient, whether it's something like maybe even Austin might be able to take right. advantage of that with this new re up with the staff, even the Sabercats as they're trying to rebuild off from these last, this last year, like you might be able to see better advantage for him to be able to get better play. And yeah. You know, he might be looking for a different experience. That's not just. You bring up a great point, Trader. Um, sorry, Rob, I'm going to give you the floor in a yeah. moment, but I just wanted to hit that, a point that a Gift had mentioned is that why couldn't it also be uh, Austin? Obviously, we know the link between the Giltinis and the Gilgronis is through by, by Gilchrist. So you have to assume that anybody that's on his radar is on the radar for both teams. 
Right. And so what I was going to say is, okay, so if Toronto isn't the place because they're developing youth, who wants a guy that's 34 that can make an instantaneous difference in on the field, on right. the pitch? Where okay. do you need a player like that? Well, I can think of teams, San Diego, possibly. They're sure. looking to win a championship, right? And then you also have a lot of holes to fill where you need leadership. You need, as Gift talked about, somebody who's going to make establish and make a culture, a new team. L.A., right. Maybe Dallas, maybe something like that. Well, when we talk about LA and Dallas um, now, just to be able to give context for those that are watching or listening to the rugby rant podcast here, you know, after the exit of the Colorado Raptors from major league rugby, a draft was held for those players. And a lot of them ended up finding their new home in Dallas or, you know, Giltini's in the case of Nick Boyer and Blake Rogers. Some of the other names that are yet to be announced, I mean, you don't need to be a detective to be able to figure this out. Yeah. You look at the roster right now of all Dallas Jackal. Yeah. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to see a lot of these guys play when I was the announcer for the Colorado Raptors. I know who has not yet been announced. Right. So by logic, you know, by elimination, where else are they going to go? Right. <laughs> so, you know, if you're thinking about names, already was mentioned in this report from America's Rugby News, Luke White, great captain for the Colorado Raptors, right? Excellent leadership. You spoke about leadership being key when you're developing a new team. Rob, I know you've you've thought about this and mentioned it many a times. You think about those key players. What did you refer to them as? The spine players, I think it was? Yep, so spine players. Positions to, to bring in stability, to bring in that continuity. Now, if you have the ability to draw from the Raptors, uh, guys that have been playing together for potentially three seasons, put them in a team together. Maybe you've got already six or seven guys that have played rugby together and know each other. So what a great way to be able to build a new team. So names that have been mentioned is uh, Luke White, connected to the Giltinis, uh, and Mika Cruze, very young, awesome talent. I think only 21 years old, uh, out in the wing, playing alongside Renee Ranger last season, would have learned a lot of new things. And there's that experience again. So, yeah, great, great, great assets to be able to add to your team. So one of the other uh, – actually, I, I nearly forgot to mention one that was very important. Here's, yeah, here's the one. I'm going – you're going to go where I think you're going to go okay. with this. Who's the guy that scored the most tries the <laughs> last two full seasons in MLR rugby? Right. John Rydberg. Exactly. Big Johnny right. Rydberg, right? And you got to think that if Dallas picked him up, they would have announced him as one of their first couple signings, not to take anything away from Cody. Um, you know, uh, 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 he's a Cody O'Neill, Dakota O'Neill, uh, gr- great player, going to be a great second rower for him, came on our show and, and uh, we had him on. It was great. But, you he's know, what about Ryder? But he's not scoring We still love you, Cody. We still love you, man. <laughs> So, so you got to think, where does he go? Right. I mean, yeah, I, and I, I love that. But, I mean, look, I mean, all jokes aside, yeah, you want to make sure that you, when you develop a team, you got to have good locks, right? You can never have too many of these guys. Right. you got to win lineouts. In fact, uh, um, uh, Cam Dolan just mentioned that in previous interview, right? So you got these key players, and one of those that's on your list has to be a good, strong, experienced winger. And when you think of ones who have the credibility to fill that role, that have the evidence of success, is John Ryberg. Now, uh, you know, number one try scorer in 2019, I believe it was, right? 
So yeah, he should be on your radar. And as far as I know, he is one name that is now being thrown around in those circles as being a serious contender for picking up whatever it may look like is the Giltini's jersey. No, look, look, one thing that, and look, I, I always love to come back to this because commerce is everything for me, but yo, the team that is able to be able to, that is able to score the most, the team that can look the flashiest is a team that's going to get the highlight. And look, if you are looking to be able to change the way that the culture of not just your team, but your entire community looks at it, this is an opportunity. That's why having a place like Dallas, they want they need that audience right away. Right. Uh, you know, we, we talked about Austin already and even with L.A., but you want to ex- actually even especially a place like L.A. You want that audience. You need to show out and you need to separate yourself. Right. LA has already proven that they've got a rugby hungry market. It's just how do they tap into it? Right. So exactly. you need to make sure that you're using these players that are signed as almost a, a, a development in marketing as well. So notable players, you know, you want to turn a few heads, just like I mentioned Rob Shaw has done. Now people, you know, that's on the back of Ma'ananu, uh, uh, Bastro, uh, Beast Matarawira. You know, these are names people take uh, take note of. And right. as a result, it turns heads towards Major League Rugby, and that's a great marketing value inside it. And as you so rightly pointed out, Gip, you got to think about the commerce behind it. So it's almost like David Beckham, when he was first brought over to Hello. the U.S., a part of Major League Soccer, he was almost more valuable to them as a marketing tool than he was the player. Yes, he was long in the tooth as well. His contribution on the field was still great, but definitely wasn't like it was in his heyday. So players like DTH Funamava could be a great answer for, 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 for them. But somebody a little bit more practical who can deliver results right now and still have the longevity as a player is somebody like Ryburn. So Stephen, I got yeah. I got to ask. Sorry, I got to ask you before we go away from LA. Uh, as a young guy, right? Are young. you down? <laughs> no, no. Hey, listen, I'm I'm hitting the I'm hitting the uh, the uh, half century mark here in May, my brother. You are a young guy, okay? Just trust me when I tell you. So, as a young guy, are you down with a the logo and the Giltini name and the colors? So the color, you know what? Ironically, the colors bother me the least. I actually find that to be a very brave choice. The logo, I feel like, is a little too on the nose. That that is the one part that kind of goes because even think about it. You want to be you're a rugby team, all right? As a rugby team, you want to be hard nosed to some extent. Some about the the martini glass doesn't exactly <laughs> take it over the top. Like if you're gonna be finesse, like it has to be almost a a, a self-aware finesse that that Mardi Gras, there's got to be a cool to him. And if they haven't started preparing that level of cool yet, ah, the martini glass doesn't sit well for me in that case. Right. Now, I mean, the air of sophistication doesn't necessarily work for me, right? I right. mean, not to say that we're not cultured people. I mean, I, I mean, I can get behind a martini every now and then, but I'm not going to be sitting uh, field side sipping that martini. Exactly. I, I don't feel any inspiration to run through walls for that martini glass. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now the olive on the top, hey, it almost got me. It almost got me, but <laughs> it hey, take it over. Hey, my brother, maybe you, maybe you just haven't found the right bartender. <laughs> Like, um, man, guys, you know, I, I'm not so opposed to the colors. Um, 
I kind of think they're cool. I do like them. I mean, I think they're bold and they're they're attractive as a result. They're eye-catching. You know, in, in a league where almost every team has some variation of black and other color, right. you know, it, it's nice to see something different. So if they dare to be different, they might get different results. We don't know what they may be. But right now, it looks like they've got the building blocks of a good team. It's just like the marketing is is lacking. Look, all it is, it always comes back to how do you make that culture, not, not even that culture, how do you make the characteristic of that team come across? Because you can sell it, but just make sure that characteristic of that team, yo, bring it through. Like, let them let them be let them be that one that stand out. And especially when you're in the Hollywood town like L.A., you have to flash. Yeah. And one that's got a great, like, built a great identity of their own and has also, for some weird reason, also come under criticism about their name in the past is uh, Rugby United, right? Rooney. I've heard people say, like, oh, their name is not relevant to rugby or not connected to rugby. It doesn't have tradition behind it because it's more of a soccer name like uh, any other, which is nonsense in my opinion, right? Mm. But why, why I bring them up is you talk about a strong culture. They've done a great job. They've got an identity for the team. They're building consistency. The team that they're looking already to be able to present in 2021 is a wonderful step forward. Not to say that they weren't doing well last year. It's just you can see that they're strengthening in the right areas. And one of those areas is definitely in the type five. We spoke about locks. So another rumor that has been flying around we were fortunate enough, or should I say Scott Ferrara, the big guy himself, the uh, rooster booster master himself, uh, had the opportunity to interview Nick Savetta, and there have been talks about him finding his way back home. Rob, can you help us understand that? Well, you know, Nick talked about the fact that he's going to be attending Oxford to continue his education. I think he's uh, an engineer by trade and obviously a, a, a just an incredibly intelligent man. But, you know, they had a party for him in Italy. I think that's that that delayed the interview a little bit. So he's clearly leaving Italy, he's leaving his professional setup there, uh, tending to his education. But at some point, that education is going to come to a close. At, at some point, he'll, you know, he will no longer put on the old blue as is his intent. So where does he go from there? Well, it only makes sense that, you know, towards the back end of his USA Eagle career, that he might come back, play here in the United States and enjoy a little bit of, of an opportunity to, to make a splash here in the, uh, right. in the, the league. Um, might that be in New York? I mean, he is a New York guy. He's, right, from, exactly. he's from New York. He's so in the tri-state area. So, right. and we know Rooney likes to recruit from, 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 the, from the area. Ball, that's right. right. So wouldn't it make sense? I mean, here's a guy who's USA Eagles experience, uh, rugby World Cup campaigns uh, to boot. So, yeah, you you would think that there would be like if he said today, hey, guys, I'm available. You probably have a line of teams that are willing to be able to negotiate with him where he will settle. We don't know. I mean, I do think that LA could also then be one because they're building a team. They've, They've now what might seem like been slow to the start could actually end up being an advantage when you see players that if the COVID conditions continue overseas as they are here, might not be able to play apply their trade there, might not be able to pursue uh, further contracts because of visas and stuff that might want to return home to play their rugby. So teams like Rooney, teams like LA, teams like uh, San Diego can take advantage of this. Um, where Saveda may end up, we don't know, but we know for a fact that he has spoken from that interview he revealed has spoken to some MLR teams that would suggest is talking about coming home, right? Definitely. Yep. 
So another one that's uh, that was recently overseas that has kind of been flying around uh, the uh, triumphant return of Paul Mullen from COVID exile. On that note, mm. uh, Rob, I know you know a little bit more about uh, about this one, but uh, gift before uh, we we do that, if, if you were thinking about players, notable players, what would be the best positions that you would look for if you were developing a team from scratch? What would be the first pick? Would you look for a fly-off? Would you look for the scrummy because they're decision-makers? What would it be? I mean, look, I, I think we, it always comes down to control, especially if you're starting early and you're trying to develop the the, 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 the team itself. So I'm probably going to be looking either down at lock or prop uh, just yeah. because I want to be able to have control of those scrums early on. Most likely a team that's just starting is going to need to get down and dirty because we're still learning how to get used to each other. Um, outside from that, I'd probably then go to fly half, um, center and wing. A lot of people go wing center, but I prefer going center wing. I like yeah. the guys to be able to break down. Uh, again, this is the, the forward inside me said, it sounds like you like the contact game. Right? I like the contact. <laughs> I'm here for the contact. I don't need all the fluidity all the time. Just when uh, it counts. You know, that's the story, man. You know, so I was fortunate enough, not only to be able to play in South Africa, then also to play in Northampton while I was living in the UK. And for years, I had played as a forward. Like my whole, like, I mean, from seven years old up until the time at 19 years old, I played in the, in the pack, variety of different positions, but I had always played in the forwards. And I remember I went to training and the guy said to me, what position do you play? The coach, right? So I said, well, I play flanker. He said, no, you don't. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Is he actually allowed? He's like, no, you don't. You're going to be center. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so the first game, the first game, what do I do? I get the ball and I run straight. What do I do the second time? I get the ball and I run straight. And he like stopped me at half time. He's like, Ty, you know that you can go around them. I said, sir, f- f- for so many years, I've been told to go through them, not around them. You can't rewire this. I'm a forward, right? So uh, that was my experience as a center. So would I have been picked on your team gift? I absolutely look, look. Again, the ground and pound. This is this is what we're about. Then we'll just bounce it out from there. Make them suffer. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So, Rob, I want to be able to turn back to uh, to the thought about forwards being a key component about developing your teams. So, let's talk about Paul Mullen. Yeah, um, you know, obviously a prop uh, has USA experience. Um, you know, coming back to the United States potentially out of uh, his COVID exile, where's he going to end up? Well, I think you have to look for teams that need help in the front row, right? And and I, I you know, it's funny. Ask Gift about you know where would he start with development, and he hit the nail on the head. He said either a lock or a prop, and and there's a lot of folks out there, a lot of pundits who will say you start with the loose head first, right? Because right. that's the anchor of your scrum. Um, so who needs the front row help? Who needs the front row assistance? Who needs to win ball? Um, obviously, young teams like L- or, uh, Dallas, because they are going with youth, that might be a potential um, uh, point. Um, or, you know, uh, might we see something like in a Utah um, that uh, needs kind of a, a, a splash player, a name player uh, right. to, to help out? Uh, in Utah, potentially, or you might see something like that in, in L.A. Obviously, they have a lot of roster positions. To so fill. if you had to pick one that you think would most likely be the case, what would you choose? I, I you know, I might go with Dallas just simply because okay. they, they have a lot of they have a lot of youth that they're trying to develop. I mean, they obviously went that direction. With right. The so the experience makes sense. Right. And then you get the experience in there. Someone who's been around the block a few times and ready to help. Yeah. Out their I mean, if it, were, if it were, if it were. 
that he would go to Dallas. I mean, he would only be moving from what is it? Uh, the Sabercats Houston, over yeah. there. So still say it's kind of local. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I like that. I think it'd be a good fit. And when we're talking about Dallas and talking about other key positions, fly off, you know, Robbie Petzer was originally planned to be able to, upon exiting the Raptors was planned to be able to go to Japan to be able to continue his rugby. Unfortunately, obviously, COVID has put a, a huge wrench in the works to be able to travel and take up new contracts. You know, it was kind of like an understanding if you're already there, continue your rugby, but we're not getting any new players because of the restrictions. And especially a country so isolated like Japan, they just said, nope, not happening, not issuing visas. So, yeah, I mean, that shuts the door down right there. So where else would you want to be able to go? If you're a player that's kind of late to the game, it's going to probably be the new teams again. I know we keep talking about it, but it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. So Dallas, from what I've seen, doesn't yet, in my opinion, have a strong 10. Now, what I like about Robbie Petzer, and I do believe that he may very well be a good option for them, is because he's great at 12 and he's great at 10. So I circle back around to the center thing. You know, he he, he filled that position uh, for at 12, but still took the kicking role at the Colorado Raptors, uh, and then also was happy to put on the 10 jersey because he is a great uh, decision maker as well. So, I, I mean, I've heard that he is a part or at least has been spoken about in those Dallas circles. Um, so I think that that's one that might hold water. Who knows? I mean, only time will tell. Well, let me ask a gift because you have a lot of knowledge and experience, especially with um, the uh, Mid-South Conference. Uh, Mooneyham, did Connor Mooneyham come from life? Is that where he came from? He came from life, right. Yeah. And and he was a fly half center combo, right? Basically. Um, yeah. I, I was going to say he also played a little wing, but no, no, no. He was, he, I, I remember more so center than he was uh, fly half. Right. So, th- I mean, you know, would Robbie Petzer and his experience bring somebody like a Mooneyham um, wouldn't there be an, an advantage to bringing a Petzer in to give Mooneyham a little bit more experience to give him some guidance and toolage along in the process? I think whenever you're coming out of a system like life, uh, anytime that you're getting a, a, a much more, um, I guess, I, I'm going to say this generally, but a much more experienced person in, in front of you, it's going to help. But especially for a guy like that who knows how to process that information so well. Right. Like I, watching him play even at life, you, like, you can see he has a view. He has a, a wide view of the field. He knows how to maneuver through it. He wasn't a, a try scorer like he was for no reason. Um, so you can only take more advantage that comes from that. Now, um, now will they be able to utilize his skills and s- make sure that he's still being able to be part of that rotation so that they can continue to develop him on field as opposed to just from a, a mentorship practice or, or, or backup role. We would hope so. And obviously if you have a new team like uh, Dallas or anything like that, you should be able to put in as much young guys as possible early on, but it would be crazy, crazy not to be able to pair the two together uh, and be able to maximize the talent. Cause uh, yeah, <laughs> all that it right combinations, right? Exactly. And when you're building a team, you have to think about these things. Um, so, gentlemen, let's take an opportunity to be able to recap what we've spoken about. And when it comes to the LA Galtinis, it's widely regarded by the press who have already reported on the fact that Luke White, uh, strong contender to be joining the LA Galtinis alongside Mika Cruze. Uh, who's also another speculated player to be joining them. We did say that DTH Funamabu, while there isn't really specifically a place in mind that has been referenced in any of the press uh, or in the rugby circles, 
we could see his him being a good fit for or potential fit for Toronto if they see it working inside their model, looking for experience. Uh, but ultimately also Ale Giltini is who want a player that is notable, who is experienced at the highest levels of the game. Um, and then John Ryberg is another great example there. So yeah, try scoring a personality uh, on your team. You never have too many of those. Paul Mullen was uh you said, Rob, we could be a good fit at Dallas, given the nature that they need the experience and being experienced USA Eagles prop. What a great fit. Um, and then we also spoke about Nick Savetta potentially returning home, not only to the US to play his rugby after his time in Oxford, but to possibly choose Rooney as his home. Who knows? So before we head out and finish this episode, is there any other names that you can think of that you'd like to share? You know, here here's here's a sleeper. Uh, take a look at the tens team that the Ohio Aviators put together. All okay. right, interesting names from the MLR. Is anyone right. in particular you're thinking well, about? Well, that's just it. Is most of the guys there have MLR experience? You got Taylor Howden at the helm coaching. You got right. guys like uh, uh, guys like Nick Feeks joining. And then there, JP Eloff. Gift, help me out. If you, I, I don't know if you're familiar with. Uh, I, I remember, but I don't remember the list off the top of my head. But yeah. I do remember seeing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so there's a lot of interesting names all in the MLR. One of the guys that I found interesting, again, because of my familiarity, my penance behind my NOLA flag with the Linenwood team is um, is uh, Christian Rodriguez. I mean, an absolute sevens, yes. sevens, seven stud in the in the collegiate um, ranks. He hasn't found his way in the MLR. But now he makes he's jumping in with the Aviators uh, ten uh, team that's going down to Bermuda. Right, he's playing among the best from the MLR, and he's and he's playing amongst all the MLR team. Does he find his way someplace into the MLR on the heels of playing in Bermuda? Interesting, you say that. I mean, obviously, it's a wonderful way to be able to to to, to gain a higher profile playing among them. But of course, all those guys are going to go back. They're going to share their experience with you. Man, what a great talent. Awesome player. We definitely, I mean, everybody talks. I mean, the circles, you know, are very small. Everybody kind of knows everybody. So, yeah, absolutely. That so, possibility. Gift, you're familiar a little bit with, with uh, again, Mid-South and with LU and stuff. I mean, do you think, do you see Roddy fitting in uh, to a team someplace? I'll be honest with you. I was a little surprised that he hadn't so far. I mean, I, I remember basically the last two and a half, three years yeah. of his play, I either had film broadcast a game with him actually yeah basically i broadcast a game with him and already talked with him and uh, especially as an outside center i mean speedy guy like yeah. quick able to quick with the hands good kicking so I, I was a little surprised he hadn't so far i'm only gonna assume that it's based off of maybe just getting the weight up maybe it's it's a little bit of stature that people are a little bit hesitant yeah. of but i do think that especially within that 10th format which is one of my favorite formats to play rugby in, uh, is is one that he should be able to show off a lot more of the skills, uh, particularly because there just has to be more backs action within it. Um, but there is one name that you guys that I heard being talked about, and you guys might be might have talked about it before, but I was hearing rumors of uh, Cecil Africa being able to play with San Diego Legion as well. Now. Oh. Yeah, then you're talking about another sevens player. So I, I believe that was announced. This that was morning, announced, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, talking about sevens players, um, there's probably one of the greats of the game in general, right? In fact, I think he's one of the highest point scorers on the on the HSBC seven circuit. Um, 
you know, I a just fellow dreadhead like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pulling out the hair, right? <laughs> but I, I wonder, like a player like that who is so clearly talented, but in a different code, right? Struggle to make the transition. Well, I mean, look, we saw this happen with Carlin Isles uh, in in Scotland uh, about what four or five years ago, uh, w- making his movement from the sevens going into the fifteens format right, over right. there, and then coming back. Uh, I, I have to imagine again, and Ty, you know this probably more firsthand. South Africa, even though you are, he might be a sevens player, he's still a rugby player first and foremost, and has probably played both codes just obviously maybe at different levels and to focus more so being on sevens for sure and you know in your rugby development you will first learn the game of 15s that's pretty much the only version you will play uh, apart from when you get to 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 maybe once a year you might play a sevens tournament but if it's not a part of your curriculum right so you're really only identified as a player at that level when you get to university and maybe high school if you're if you're really talented. Uh, but that's only if your if your school has a program and if that union supports that program. So yes, he must have played a lot of 15s rugby before he became a sevens player. So obviously he has the ability. It's just after so many years, can you successfully transition? You know, you spoke about Rodriguez having to bulk up, potentially be able to to, to take on a role in, in MLR. I wonder if it'll be the same for, for Cecil Africa. I mean, he's electric. Uh, the pace is unimaginable. The opportunity to spot gaps that just don't exist is like, I mean, unparalleled for a player like that. His vision on the field, but he's also playing in a field that has a lot more space than he's used to uh, when playing right. the teens. So it's important to take note of that. And, and the concern is injury. You know, right. he had quite a few sure. injuries later on in the sevens career. So, you know, again, he's going to have a lot less space to work with. He's probably going to be into contact a lot more frequently in the 15s game. You can count on that. Um, and so with that comes the potential to open up himself to injury, which we know uh, dogged him a little bit at the end of his sevens career. So that'll be interesting how that develops. Well, I mean, I think it'd be interesting to be able to see if he'll even be starting you know, I mean, is he yeah. considered as a starting player? And then you will recognize, okay, how much faith do they have in him in 15s or not? I mean, that's really your 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 definition of, okay, do they believe that he's ready to be able to be that starting player or will he be doing the last 15 to 20 minutes because that's when you need an injection of pace and that's when you need imaginative play. Maybe that's where his greatest value yeah. will be. I mean, regardless of whatever happens, it's clear San Diego wants to get that championship. Yeah. Like they, they want that championship back. So like you're investing big the way they are. <laughs> Eddie Jones is your consultant. Uh, Chris Robshaw, you had Marn on it. I mean, I don't know who we were talking about it with. In fact, I think it might have been Nate uh, Augsberger when we had him on for an interview. It's That's like, <laughs> like if if they don't win, was any of it worth it? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. The ultimate, the ultimate game is the, inve- do I get the ROI on the investment? I guess it's a redundant statement, but do I get the ROI off of it? But yeah. I know, mean, it's just- true. I mean, you, you got there last year, right to the end yourself without any of that. Right. So really all you needed to do was go one further. Right. <laughs> so yes. I mean, I guess San Diego fans will, will differ with our opinion. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty exciting for Major League Rugby as a whole to be able to look at the names that the league is now beginning to attract in what is already considered a very young league. So does it bode well? Does it bring confidence that players of that nature are coming? You know, the Chris Robshaws, the Ma Nanus, uh, VTH Fanamava, 
yes, absolutely. I love the energy that is coming with them. I love the attention that they bring as well. Gentlemen, final thoughts on this round. I'm going to hand it over to Gift to be able to share his final thoughts first. Look, I think the most important thing is we get to watch a lot of teams that are starting back up, starting in their their preeminent year, coming in with a lot of bang and have a lot of potential. Don't know if it's going to translate over into a a playoff entrance, but it's going to add that much more energy, like you said. Um, And it's going to be really exciting to see what teams are looking to try and close the gap versus what teams are trying to set up the culture. Uh, And... You know, like we said, San Diego, look forward. Seattle, obviously, is going to be trying to go back to get another championship. L.A., we're going to see what they have to bring and see if they're going to match the culture to the logo. <laughs> Excellent. I, I like it. Rob, what are your thoughts? You know, I, I'm glad uh, Gip brought this up because uh, he talked about that return to play, and it just kind of sparked my mind. Uh, Rugby 404, um, and I forgot their development two teams, but they had the silver and the black scrimmage last right. weekend. So we're already seeing teams, MLR teams, kind of get their developmental sides together uh, and and return to play. And there's going to be a, I believe this weekend, they're going to play again. Uh, yeah. And it is televised on uh, Facebook. So you can catch some of that play. Um, it'll be great to see rugby return. Uh, and we saw some players, we saw uh, who was the number 10 from um, from ATL, um, uh, I forgot, but I know Chance played and and several other Van Shawquicks. Oh, okay. Um, but they were all they were all playing against one another. So certainly, um, you know, are you uh, saying that you ha- actually had those MLR caliber players playing oh, those games, right? Uh, right alongside right. a lot of the youth, and right. you know, that's that's great to be able to see. Utah's got some coming up as well. Yeah, um, Utah Life uh, Life Men's. Um, I, I know Nola's going to be playing in a little bit of that too. So it'll be. Really right. good to see. That'll be, I think it's what, gift uh, third week in October, like 24th, 23rd, 24th, 25th. Something, something like, that. like that. Yeah. Oh, man, I just was looking at the email too. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Well, I think we are at the end of our episode, and it has been an interesting time to be able to learn about the National Development Program and, of course, everything in between when it comes to development in the U.S. And then, in addition, we spoke about some of the rumors that are flying around Major League Rugby fan zone groups and between the fans who they think is going where, and we shared our thoughts in that regard. So I want to be able to take the opportunity to be able to remind all our viewers here on the Rugby Rant Podcast, you can like, follow, and share our videos, and of course, catch our content online through your favorite podcast provider, whether it be Apple Podcasts, whether it be Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. You can get us there the day after this releases. You'll find it on those platforms. So give us a like, share, hit those five stars to make sure that you rate us and tell us that you like us and like what we do. And on behalf of myself, Ty Braga, Rob Hammerschmidt and Gift Egberlu from Gift Time Rugby. I'm going to say thank you for joining us and we'll see you at the next one. Bye-bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.